0: I'd like to read the first seven verses. I want to minister this evening about a man born blind. John chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither Hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay, and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam which is by interpretation means sent he went his way and therefore came having washed and as you can see it says he came seeing so father for a few moments as we look into these texts speak to all of our hearts in Jesus mighty name and everyone said amen amen The Gospels provide for us more than one instance of a blind person being healed. We're all familiar with a gentleman by the name of Bartimaeus. Man in a desperate situation along the side of a road crying out saying son of David have mercy on me. Desperate cries are born out of desperate circumstances. That man received what he desired from the Lord. In the previous chapter, we find a lady that had been caught in the very act of adultery. They drug her to the temple to her shame. They didn't even bother to bring the man. And with a crowd of onlookers scoffing, and looking at her with anger, they wanted to kill her, but Jesus said, The one of you that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. They all disappeared. Jesus never condoned her iniquity. In fact, he told her not to do it again. Go and sin no more. The temple was an occasion for Jesus' teaching, and what he said was so off putting to so many of the Pharisees and people that listened. That they wanted to kill him. They wanted to catch him in his words to see if he would say things that they could use against him. And it was so bad that in verse 59 they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and notice how it says he passed by. Now that's an interesting phrase because it goes with the first sentence of verse 1 of chapter 9. As Jesus passed by, if you follow the record of the gospels, you'll know that once Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan, that his ministry really became mobile. He began to travel. He began to teach. He began to heal the sick and bless all kinds of people. So it was quite natural for Jesus to pass by people's jobs, people's homes, the marketplace. But as we know from the scripture, that quite often when he passed by, things were never left the way they were once he passed by. People had faith. People were reaching out. People wanted things from him. That's interesting because at the end of chapter eight, when he passed through the midst of that crowd, they received nothing from him. They were full of unbelief. They were full of anger. But when he passed by people that were in possession of faith and they desired something from him and they trusted and had confidence in God, very often you can see where God responded in power. On this occasion, while traveling, he saw a man that could not see him. Jesus cast his eyes upon someone that had never seen anyone before. Now you think about that. If, If by way of experiment, and I've done this in the past, but won't do it now, if by way of experiment, I were to ask you to close your eyes for the next three minutes, I could promise you there'd be a few of you that would open your eyes and be peeking just to see what's going on. But imagine having your eyes closed and you're in a world of darkness and you cannot open your eyes. That's how this man was. He was blind. If you wanted to describe the color green to him, what kind of reference point would you provide for him? If you wanted to explain to him the facial features of his mother and father, how would you do it when he's never seen anything? Blind from birth. But yet this man who was unable to see Jesus was yet visible to the Lord. And I believe that is always a good picture for us because God sees us even when we don't see him and when we're not looking for him. He's paid attention to your circumstances and to mine. And I think of the number of people today that have infants that come into this world with some kind of physical challenge, deformity mental challenge, lame from birth, born with six fingers, born without an arm, sometimes born without a leg. And the mom and dad who brought this child into the world, there's no doubt that at the birth, this baby was showered with love. And mom and dad were excited about the birth of this child, but they noticed over time, Never, anything would pass in front of the face of that baby, the eyes didn't move. Whenever something happened in what should be the peripheral vision of the child, nothing happened at all. Didn't turn his head, didn't look this way, didn't look that way. But despite the physical challenge, I guarantee the love of the mom and dad never changed. And that's what we need to know about God. God loves us before we first loved him. Despite every instance of sin and iniquity and weakness in your life, you came into this world loved by a God that knew you were coming. And every moment this baby was in mama's womb, mama and dad were praying and they had a great love, and this child was born into that kind of environment. But as you can see in verse two, the disciples had questions. They were curious. They were without answers, and of course, sometimes you save certain questions for select people that you believe can provide you with the right answer, and the question that was on their mind had to do with this man that people knew about, people were familiar with, and the question was simply, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents? Why in the world would God let a baby be born into this world in this particular condition? There has to be some link between the infirmity and the sin. And that's how many people in ancient times thought. That's how many people think today you go through any struggle, you face any physical battle, there will be somebody in your life that will say to you, there must be some hidden sin in your life, something you have done to provide an opportunity for the devil to come into your life like this. People are always looking for solutions, but in their solutions, they're trying to figure out what the cause is. But you can see in verse Number two, by asking the question related to sin, they had a knowledge of sin. So we need to at least understand the history of sin. God made a garden, named it Eden. He put Adam and Eve inside it. He told them, you can eat of every tree, but this one, you have dominion. God gave them the power even to name the animals that were brought to to Adam. But yet, because of deception, that very deceitful creature called the devil, serpent, came to Eve and Adam and misled them. And at the tree, they ate of the fruit. And once they ate of the fruit, their eyes were opened to understand iniquity and sin. And immediately they were ashamed, and realized they were naked. Shame was born through transgression. The both. Of them, the two of them hid themselves in the bushes because they now were afraid. Fear was born because of sin. Later, when they were kicked out of the garden, of course, the Lord having covered their iniquity with animal skins. The scripture is very plain. They had children, Cain and Abel. And because of the presence of sin, there was hostility, even jealousy. And so the Bible says, Cain said to his own brother, would you walk with me in the field? And without ever having seen a human life taken, he became the first one that murdered his own sibling. I don't know what that walk in the field must have been like. I imagine Abel would have been the kind of person that would at least try to resist and save his own life. One being the keeper of sheep, the other being involved with agriculture in a different way. But yet he rolls up in the Bible says he slew his brother out there in the field, spilled his blood on the ground. Murder came into this world because of sin. Jealousy, wickedness, because of sin. God came to Cain and said, where's your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? Disregard, disrespect, dishonor came into the world because of sin. And the Lord said, your brother's blood is is yet speaking to me from the soil of the earth. And in the end, God put a mark on Cain that no one should murder him. And Adam and Eve had another son by the name of Seth. And the scripture says to Adam and Eve were born sons and daughters. Here's my point. Because of their transgression, sin brought into this world things that never existed before. And through the generation, sin multiplied and proliferated and dominated in such a way that the lifespan of people quickly diminished from hundreds of years to 70, 80 years. Who knows the number of germs and bacteria and other kinds of things that manifested in this earth because of sin. And by the time Jesus' day has come along, people have come to link sin with sickness and there has to be some correlation and in their mind somebody has done something wrong in order for an infant to be born into this world with this kind of problem but the beautiful thing about jesus in verse three is he makes it very plain that it's not a product of the man's individual sin or the parent's sin But he puts it in the place where it needs to be that the works of God should be made manifest. Stop focusing on what you believe is the cause. and Focus on who's the solution. That the works of God could be manifest. Now Jesus tells us here that he's been sent by God to do the works of that the Lord sent him to do. Jesus understood his assignment. He was God in the flesh and being God in the flesh, he's come to do a particular task. And part of his task was healing, healing the sick, part of the works of God. Every time he healed someone that was crippled or healed someone that was maimed, It's part of the works of God. When he taught about the kingdom, it was part of the works of God. And he said he wanted God's work to be manifested through him because he must do this while he's here. He's the light of the world. Now, previous chapters have given us illustrations of Jesus being the light. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God that word was god then it says in him was life and his life was the light unto men john chapter three tells us in that popular verse god so loved the world that he gave but then it goes on to say men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil then it goes on to say but he that is a doer of truth cometh to the light What is it about light that is so essential to this particular passage here? Well, if you're blind, you're in darkness. But when the light is on, you can see clearly, you can discern, you can differentiate. And if Jesus is there and he's the light of the world, he gives us the ability to distinguish between what is righteous and what is sinful. He said, I'm the light of the world. Do you think he was ever intimidated by the darkness of sin? By the darkness of sickness, by any kind of darkness at all? Absolutely not. Jesus understood that as a son of God, as God in the flesh, wherever he went, he was the light of the world. Now, there's a, an old African parable that is used to describe This kind of scenario, the conflict between light and darkness. And and someone one time had gone to the sun, the S-U-N, and said, there's a place in this universe where there's nothing but darkness, horrible darkness, and we need you to go there because it's so overbearing. And the sun said, well, where is this place? And the sun was told, it's in such and such place. And if you go there, you'll see the, the intensity of that darkness. And so the sun left on a journey that lasted for years. And he went east. He went west. He went north. He went south. And that S-U-N went all over the universe looking for this dark place. And he came back. And he said, I've been searching for a long time, but I cannot find this place of darkness. You know why he couldn't find it? Because wherever that sun went and the rays of light began to shine, darkness had to flee. And that's the essence of the story. And when you think of Jesus Christ as the light of the world, there's never been a condition. There's never been a sin. There's never been a problem that he cannot handle because no darkness intimidates our Savior. Now, do you realize that same Savior lives inside of you? So why are you intimidated by the darkness of your community, by the darkness that may be encroaching upon your family, by the darkness that may be attacking you on the job? Why don't you allow Jesus to stand up strong in you so that the rays of light in you will push back the darkness? This is what Jesus is saying. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Night comes when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And with that, the blind man heard a mini-sermon. The disciples listened to what Jesus said. And then in that moment, that awkward moment of silence, that blind man who can't see what's taking place, he hears the sound of, Of a man spitting on the ground. Now imagine what thoughts were going through his head at that time. And the scripture says Jesus spat on the ground and then took the clay, the dirt, the very mud where that spittle was. And with that blind man not knowing what was about to happen, he then smeared it over his eyes and as the Bible says, anointed him. Now, have you ever even thought about how offended you might have been had that been you? How angry and upset you might have been? I mean, after all, you don't even like the sound of someone sounding like they're about to spit. You certainly don't want someone spitting in your presence. And if you hear someone who does that and suddenly you feel something moist on your face, even if you're blind, you're liable to come up swinging. This blind man had known of the stories of Jesus. He'd known of the reputation of Jesus. And he sat there passively and he allowed God to do his work. And I think that's what we all should do. If you want God to do something for you, if you are believing God to do something for you, you should be willing to let him begin the work. Even if it may make you feel uncomfortable. Even if it may bother your heart. To the point that you want to get up and walk away because you say, Father, this is too hard for me. But do you realize that when you're looking at someone with a sickness or an infirmity or a sin. That God always has a method of healing for that person. And it's a process sometimes. It's not always immediate, but it's a process sometimes. And this is a process He takes the dirt, he smears it in his eyes, and then he says to this man, stand on your feet and go to the pool and wash. Now I'm thinking about other occasions in the Bible where people had to go through processes and they definitely were offended. You remember the story of the man who was in the army? He was like a general or the equivalent and had leprosy. And there's a little maid working for the king and said, sir, I wish you could go back to my country. There's a prophet of God over there, truly anointed of the Lord. He'd recover you of this leprosy if you could ever get to him. And He said, who in the world is this prophet? His name is Elisha. He said to his worker, somebody get me an address for this man over there in Israel. And sure enough, he had sent a letter ahead to the king of Israel. And he said, look, I'm coming. I want you to heal me. And the king said, who am I that you would think that I'm God, that I could heal you? That man loaded up all of his camels and horses and chariots with gold and silver and jewelry and made that long trek across the border to go into Israel. And one day they showed up at the prophet's house, this huge caravan and all of the entourage of Naaman. And Elisha was sitting in the house, sitting on the couch, never even bothered to get up and go outside and greet the man. He sent his servant out there and said, the man has come to be healed. Tell him, I said, go dip seven times in the river Jordan. Well, Servant went out and told Naaman that, Naaman instantly got angry. He said, doesn't this man know who I am? He won't even come out and give me a face-to-face greeting. He won't kiss my cheek, shake my hand, give me a hug. He won't even open the door, or look out the window and wave at me. Am I a dog that he would treat me like this? And he wants me to go dip in this river and all the rivers of Syria are cleaner and better and brighter and more beautiful. Finally, in the midst of his anger and hostility, one of his servants said to him, well, sir, if if the man would have told you to give this much or do thus and so, would you not have done it? All he said for you to do is go to the river. Dip in the river seven times and your leprosy will be gone. And eventually that man who was angry and upset and offended, his hostility subsided somewhat. He climbed down off of his high horse, waded out there into the water with a a crowd of onlookers on the shore as they were observing him. And he got out there in that water and said, I'm going to go through with everything you folks told me to go through with. He said, I don't know what's going to happen, but that man dipped the first time, came up, looked at his hands and arms and leprosy was still there. I told you the rivers of Syria are so much better than this and you want me out here. He thinks he's a laughingstock in front of hundreds of people. He said, well, he said seven times. He dips a second time, dips a third time, comes up, looks at himself, said, there's nothing happening here. Now, if this man had an ounce of faith, he probably has zero faith right now. And that crowd is watching and they're listening. The man of God has spoken. The servant has come out and delivered the word of the Lord. said, dip seven times in that water. And he goes down the fourth time. The fifth time comes up and there's nothing at all that has occurred. And I'm sure people on the shore were wondering, is God going to do anything for this man? Maybe God doesn't even care. It's leprosy. Maybe God wants him to have the leprosy. See? He dips that sixth time. He dips that seventh time and when he comes up, lo and behold, he realizes something has happened and there's new skin all over that body. A miracle has transpired because that man came to the end of the process and at the end of the process, his recovery was immediate. How many times has God dealt with your heart about this or dealt with your heart about that and you complained about the process? Well, God, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to be the one to go to her and ask her to forgive me? Why do I need to be the one to go to him and take a bag of groceries? Why should I say I'm sorry? I'm the one that was right. It's the process. If you want healing. If you want God to touch you, if you want the miracle to come in your life, then you've got to be willing to do what it is that God has told you to do. And having smeared spit filled mud and everything else all around this man's eyes, you would have thought instantly the man would be healed, but the process wasn't done yet. Jesus says to him, now get up, go to the pool and wash. So that blind man who has probably been in that pool several times has to have somebody either point him in that direction or he could feel his way to the general direction. And with every step he took, there's probably a particle or a piece of dust or something falling from his face as he's walking in obedience to this pool. And I'm sure people are wondering, what in the world is wrong with this man? We've known him for years. He's never acted like this before. Why in the world is he walking over here to the pool? And, and of all things, why does he have eyes caked full of mud? And he comes over to the pool and begins to wash and realizes instantly his eyes are open. Can you imagine how exciting that was? This man washed his eyes and then started screaming, I can see, I can see, I'm healed. And the testimony began. You know the wonderful thing about this, when a person genuinely is healed and has had an experience with God, you don't have to tell him he's healed, he knows he's healed. When someone truly has come to know Jesus Christ, you find a lady that is surrendered fully to God and God does a work in her heart. You don't have to convince her. She say she knows something has happened. I've seen a whole lot of people pray sinners prayers. I prayed sinners prayers with people. And then afterwards you can look at them and see it. Nothing had happened here. They just went through the motions, uttering some words. But if God comes into your life and removes all the burdens of your sin and washes you inside out so you feel clean, you know something has happened. Sometimes I, I watch the testimonies when they're bringing people up on Stage and, and healings have taken place, or whatever. And then here comes somebody that's been deaf, can't hear a thing. Then they tell the musicians, "Everybody, quiet down, quiet down." And then they bring them up. And then all of a sudden, then they get close to him. Somebody covers up an air and he say, "Can you hear me?" Then they go a little further, "Can you hear me?" He's repeating, saying, "Can you hear me?" Then he's repeating, and he's he's showing that he's able to hear. But you don't have to go through all of that. If somebody's eyes are open or ears are open, they'll hear all the musicians making noise, and they themselves will join in with the chorus and start screaming somebody who has had an experience with god will tell everybody and just like this man here you start telling the story and you become an irritant you become an irritant because you become an advertisement for what they didn't believe in and he started going around telling people oh my look at these look at these eyes I can see. Oh, you're so lovely. Oh, you're beautiful. First time I've ever seen you. Who are you? Then people start telling him, I'm your sister. I'm your cousin. I'm your neighbor. Then he he's recognizing people by their voices. And as that is taking place, the Pharisees and others are getting angry and upset. And they start inquiring and said, is this man really the one that was blind? They said, get his mother and father here so we can interview him or them. And we'll find out whether or not this is true. Well, mom and dad came and their testimony was basically this. He's 40 years old. He's big enough to tell his own story. He don't need us to tell it. And you know, when God's done something for you, you can tell your own story. And if somebody asks you about how God has transformed your life and what he has done in that transformation, no one can tell your story like you can. Now, there are a number of you in here. I do know some of your testimonies. And certainly, you know, a number of mine. But you can't tell my stories like I can. And I can't tell your stories like you can. In fact, I've told testimonies sometimes and some of you heard them enough times where afterwards you say, Pastor, you forgot to tell this part. (laughs) Forgot to mention that part. Yeah. But the thing is, it's so real to me That I know it happened. A man born blind. And now this man can heal. Man being healed. This man can see. And his mom and dad have to be happy. All over this earth. There are people that have children. Who have struggles. Have people in their family. That behind closed doors. They're saying God. Is there anything you can do to help me? People struggling with sin. Difficult sin. But I do want you to understand that according to the word of God, for every sin, for every sickness, for every problem, there's a solution in Christ. There is a solution. And the process for everybody may be different, but I can tell you the cross and the resurrection will solve every problem. There is no iniquity. There's nothing you've ever done in your life so devious, so dirty, so bad that a drop of his blood cannot handle. There's no infirmity, no crookedness, no arthritis, no deadly disease so great in a person's body that one touch from the master can't bring recovery. But what I do know is that Jesus lacks no power to handle any of our circumstances and this blind man became a testimony of all that god can do so then the question this evening then is what kind of a testimony are you for god yeah if somebody came to you and told you about an issue or a problem that they had what kind of standard bearer would you be would you very simply Do like other people and look at that child that was born that way, that grown man that was blind that way, and just say, poor thing, that's just the lot of your life. Or would you at least provide hope? I'm telling you, folks, when you stop hoping, you die. Christ is the hope of glory. As long as Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father, there's hope for a bad marriage. I don't care how bad it is. As long as Jesus sits at the right hand of the heavenly father, any drug addict, anybody involved with substance abuse can find healing. They have hope in God. Do you rob a man or woman of hope and you basically shut their eyes so that now they're just wandering around blind and depressed. Just wondering if one day God might happen upon them and see them. Do you give a man or woman hope and let them know that Jesus truly is passing by, that where two or three are gathered together in my name, he's in the midst. That means that even tonight as we're right here, whatever wounded, broken heart or wounded, broken body you may have, Jesus is here to do for us what he did for them. He'll never change. He'll never change. And if we believe that, then God will always honor our belief and faith in him. I'm glad that I trusted in God in my youth and saw my sins disappear. And I'm glad you trusted in God and saw your sins disappear. And all of us have known of or have known personally people that have been touched by the power of God to the point of recovery in their health. But folks, don't ever rob any man or woman of the hope that comes with knowing Christ. It's almighty and powerful. There's nobody like him at all. Nobody. Let's stand tonight. Now this evening, before we get out of here, we at least need some application to what we're saying, because if you have any kind of particular sin in your life that the Spirit of God has been pointing out or convicting you of during the message, let him take that away this evening. Let him just wash it completely. Since we are a body, and since we are family, and we are people that that love the Lord, then the Scripture says, they who lay hands on the sick, People will recover. These signs shall follow them that believe. So since we're believers, then why not as a family we minister to one another this evening? You say, Pastor, how do we do that in a local church as a family? I'll tell you exactly what you do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to just reach out and lay your hands on the person that's next to you and all I want you to do is begin to pray for them. You may know of some physical problem. You may know of some infirmity. You may know of some struggle that they're having, but you can pray. And God says we're a body. And God says we should pray. Come on, let's begin to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, We thank you, Lord, that as the body of Christ, we can stand in faith knowing that you're the great physician and you bring recovery. Oh, God, I'm asking you to touch our mortal physical frames. Oh, God, and quicken them by the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter, Lord, what someone's blood is doing or lungs or heart or legs are doing. There's no arthritis or anything greater than the name of Jesus. So right now, fathers, we lay hands on one another. We ask you to touch them physically and where they need a blessing from you. Provided right now, almighty God. Father, we thank you that we can pray for the forgiveness of sins for our brothers and sisters. And Lord, where there's iniquity, we thank you for the mighty blood that brings the washing away, God, the convicting power of the Holy Ghost that has already prepared the ground, God. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for recovery. Thank you for washing us removing shame and guilt and condemnation and pain and other difficulties that were born by your son in Isaiah 53 upon the cross. We love you and we worship you. We thank you, God, for causing our bodies to be stronger from this moment. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, we do pray and everyone said, amen amen folks you can't ever go wrong praying for one another ever go wrong and that's what family does praise for one another amen 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 tuesday night folks we'll be out here tuesday night we'll be out here getting into the